I mentioned before that we're doing a little one-week series on this whole concept of moving from rows to circles. And ultimately, what today is all about is this kind of one big concept of saying that real community happens when we gather in circles instead of rows. Now, you might be tempted to just write that down and be like, okay, I can check out. You know, Brian said his big point right at the beginning. You know, that's good. But, but stick with us because there's some deeper things we're pushing into in this whole concept of community that's, I really, I believe is going to be really good and help shape our church and who we are. Now, really what this is all about today is about something that we've had here for a number of years that we used to call small groups, and we're actually doing a rebranding. We're shifting the name of our small groups to calling them life groups. Now, that might seem like a really small change, but for me, like, I've been, I've been here for a while. Like, I've been on staff for 10 years. I grew up part of this church. I have, like, 17 years of small groups ingrained in my brain, and so I want to ask you to do something. If I slip up and I say small groups, you have permission to yell life groups at me to correct me. Sound, sound good? You can do that? Should, I, should we test it? If I say small groups? There we go. That's going to totally throw me when it happens because I'm not going to expect it. But let's go with it because this whole concept of being in a group, of being in a circle, of being together is really how we grow in a much deeper way. And again, I, I mentioned before the Uversion event, I got pointed out, Monroe pointed out to me, we, there's a little bit of a server glitch happening with them. So there's, if you can't find it in the app, here's what you got to do. Pull up your web browser on your phone and type in mygrandvalley.ca slash event. And if you type that in, it'll pull it up in your web browser instead of in the app. It looks like Uversion's having a bit of a server hiccup this morning, but it might pop up in the app. I don't exactly know, but hey, Technical glitches happen, and we just work through them. So again, if you are looking on the Bible app and our event isn't there, mygrandvalley.ca slash event will take it, you to it in your web browser. So at the very end, of uh, closer to the end, I'm going to have two questions that you can see in the, in the app on the event and two questions I'm going to put up on the screen, but they're coming kind of later in the end. So if you're on that app, you can scroll ahead and spot those questions ahead of time if you like and get your brain thinking about those. But here's our whole concept. We're talking about moving from rows towards circles because, again, circles is where real community happens. But if you think about our society, we think about our world, we are much more comfortable and used to sitting in rows. In fact, when we gather with people we don't know, we sit in rows. So think of it this way, a classroom. A classroom is all set up in rows of, you know, students sitting, looking towards the teacher at the front. You're sitting beside each other, looking forward because there's a purpose. If you think about things like a hockey game or a concert or a movie theater, you know, we sit in rows looking forward at one thing. When we travel an airplane or you're traveling, maybe, you know, you still like to travel by bus, although I guess that's not a thing in Western Canada anymore. Or even like, you know, traveling by train, you're sitting in rows And it's about a purpose, just getting from A to B. And you might think, you know, Brian, right now we're sitting in rows and you're the person up front and we're talking to you. And, you know, you must be the expert that has all this figured out. And I'm just going to squash your expectations right now and just say I'm not the expert. And if you expect me to be the expert and know everything, eventually I'm just going to disappoint you. So I might as well just disappoint you right now and, you know, get that passed. Because even though we're here as a community... It's still this imbalance because I'm the one up here with a microphone and you're sitting in rows and this is kind of a one-way thing. And that's why we do this whole version event and why we do the conversation because we want to turn that imbalance around because we want this to be about a conversation and a discussion about this whole concept of community. 
So the question kind of comes up. We've got to start with, why do we feel more comfortable when we sit in rows? And the reason for that is usually when we sit in rows, we feel comfortable because there's a certain level of anonymity. You can be anonymous. You can be lost in the crowd when you sit in rows. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. This is just a fact that we're more comfortable that way. If you think about, like, I went to a hockey game. A friend invited me to a hockey game last week, and I don't normally go to hockey games. But, you know, you're sitting there at the arena, and you kind of look around, and you usually say, oh, who, you know, do I know anyone that's going to be here? And I scan the crowd, and I didn't think I recognized anyone. But it's okay to feel like that lost in a crowd. Sometimes that feels comfortable to us. In fact, if you're here and you're just trying to check out faith, or maybe you have questions about Jesus, questions about faith, questions about God, this is the exact place we want you to be. And there's nothing wrong with coming in and wanting to be anonymous and just, you know, have questions that you want to ask and and maybe we'll tackle and, and hit some of those. But the other thing about why we feel more comfortable in rows is because usually when we sit in rows, we're task focused. So if you think about, you might think that like going to a movie isn't really task focused, but you go to a movie to be entertained. That's a task. That's a object, a purpose that you're pushing for. You go to a hockey game, you know, to, you know, cheer for your team and support your team and, you know, complain when they lose. And when you think the refs make bad calls, you shout at them and yell at them. That was my experience. I wasn't used to the level of like, when I used to go to hockey games, they seemed kind of calm and everyone was happy. And I don't know what's changed in arenas. Maybe it was just the guy I was sitting next to. (laughs) Sorry, Mac. I'm just going to call you out on that. It was fun. (laughs) But when we sit in rows, we're task focused. Think about travel. You know, how many of you, when you get on an airplane and you maybe you're traveling by yourself and your goal is I'm just going to stick in headphones and read a book or I'm going to you know, watch a movie on my iPad, I'm just going to zone out because the whole purpose of why I'm there cramped in a sardine can is to get from point A to point B. How many of you like to travel that way? You're just like, put in the headphones, zone out, ignore everything. See, I, I'm fairly extroverted. You've probably guessed that. But there's something weird that happens when I sit next to people on airplanes because there's that polite kind of like, oh, so where are you going? Is this, you know, are you heading home? Are you going to something? You know, that kind of polite question you ask your, the person sitting next to you. And then usually you get asked this, you know, what do you do? And when I say I'm a pastor, that brings some really weird experiences sometimes. Like I have gotten the, oh, okay, I'm putting in my headphones. Like, straight up said that, like, I'm not talking to you. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Uh, I've had the, uh, the kind of like, look at the suspicion of like, you know, you're not old and you're not wearing a collar, like you're not wearing a robe and a hat and something. It's like, okay, no, there's, I, I need to broaden your understanding of what a pastor is a little bit. But sometimes, sometimes I have these really unique experiences. And even though you're sitting in a row and you're on the plane to get somewhere, sometimes these unique pieces happen. And this happened to me last June. I was uh, going to Calgary for a denominational event. And so, you know, you hop the little plane in Brandon, a little turboprop, and you're, you sit down and this guy sits next to me and we hadn't even taken off yet. And he says, so what do you do? And sometimes I dodge the question. Sometimes I say, you know, I lead a nonprofit organization that's focused on personal growth. You know, that's kind of the, it's true. I'm not lying. It's true. And it sometimes, but usually if that, that asks more follow-up questions, like, so, so what really do you do? Well, you know, I talk a lot. Uh, what, what really do you do? I drink a lot of coffee. I meet with people. No, what really do you do? Okay, I tell people about Jesus. And they go, oh, okay. But this time the guy asked me, so what do you do? And I just said, well, I, I pastor a church here in Brandon. 
And I goes, oh, that's interesting. And he starts telling me this story that I, I pieced it together about 15 to 20 years ago. Like he grew up in a church that was uh, very structured and very strict. And he actually got excommunicated from his church. This was like the first thing I say, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, really? I got excommunicated from a church. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is getting interesting. So he tells me this story. He grew up in this really strict church where they had a lot of rules and things. And, and he started getting hungry for something more. He didn't think that his walk with God was just about following the rules. And so he actually started to open his Bible and read it for himself. And he started reading through the Gospels. And he tells me the story that as he started asking questions about Jesus, he started being told by the leadership of their church, oh, we don't ask those questions. Oh, you know, just trust what the, what the elders are telling you. Just trust what the pastor at the front is telling you. Don't ask questions. And he kept asking more and more and more questions because he was curious. He was hungry for something. And eventually, because of the questions this guy asked about 15, 20 years ago, he got kicked out of his church. And they said, you're not welcome here anymore. And his family disowned him and cut off contact with him because of this. And so 20 years later, here he is sitting next to me, and he starts asking some of these questions. And so we had about like an hour and a half conversation, you know, flying over Saskatchewan, talking about Jesus and like getting to these questions that he had. Now, and if I'm honest, my plan that flight was to stick in my headphones and read a book. Like I was, I was actually reading the Problem of God book in June because I was preparing for our sermon series that we just did. My plan was to be antisocial. But here I am sitting next to this guy who is hungry for a deep connection. And he lived um, further east in, in Manitoba. I, haven't, I haven't, didn't keep in contact with the guy. I gave him my card and said, hey, you're welcome to email me or call me if you want to talk more sometime. I've, I haven't heard from him. I don't know if I will or not. But this is what impressed me the most. Even though we were sitting in a row, even though we're in a place that was task-focused, you know, he had to push me a little bit because I didn't really want to talk that day. See, when, we, when we're hungry for connection and we're sitting in rows, there's a bigger barrier to overcome than when we're sitting in circles. That's the point that I want to get to is that we can feel like when we're in a row, when we're sitting next to each other, maybe it's you know, a classroom, maybe it's work, maybe it's whatever, and you might feel like it's tougher to build a connection. And that's the truth because it is tougher to build a connection when we sit in rows. We can be doing great at being task-focused. We can be great at finding you know, a purpose in that. But if our purpose is finding community, we have to make a transition from rows towards circles. Because here's the difference. When we sit in rows, we're often sitting with people we don't know. In fact, I, I feel bad because I can't even remember that guy's name. And I feel like I should have remembered his name because we, you know, we talked the whole flight from Brandon to Calgary, most of it about faith. Uh, but I can't remember his name, which kind of you know, looks bad on me. That's why I'm not good with, with names. I remember faces. If I saw him again, I'd see him. I'd recognize him. But he was so hungry for this that sitting in a row didn't matter. But we don't always encounter people, and even us ourselves, we aren't always have that 20 years of built-up hunger for connection that, that this guy had. And so that's why, usually, if you think about the times in our lives where we sit in circles, it's when we gather with people we already know. Think about, you know, it's, you know, Thanksgiving was just behind us. You got Christmas coming up. You know, when you gather at your family gathering, oh, I, I hope this is the case, but you probably sit in a circle around a table, right? Does anyone's family gathering happen in rows? One person puts up 
okay, you're kidding. All right, that's good. Because that'd be, I'd actually want to come. That would be so, like, I'd, it's an experience I think I'd want to see. But when we gather with people we know, we tend to sit in circles. So family gatherings, you know, if you uh, invite someone to go out for a meal, you sit around a table. Or, you know, one of the, my favorite parts of when we go to family camp each year is the evening bonfires when we just sit around a fire and chat and talk with one another about whatever was happening that day or whatever's going on in our lives. And you get to know each other. See, when you sit in circles, it helps us to share our lives with each other. Sitting in circles, immediately we know we're not here for a task. We're here to connect. See, one of the things I believe, and I'm assuming you're going to agree with this, is everyone needs a relational connection with someone. Like every one of us has a hunger for friendships. Every one of us has a hunger for community. Every one of us has a desire to be known, to be known by someone else. And I mean, there's the whole, like, we're not going to get into the whole introvert, extrovert scale of things, but even people who are deeply introverted still crave relationships. They just crave relationships in a different format, in a different way than someone who's extroverted. It's not that one is better than the other in any case. It's just different ways of how we all have that same hunger for relationships. And that hunger comes down to a deep level of we want to be known. We want to feel like the people around us know who we are. In fact, this is what we talk about when we talk about life groups. Everyone wants to be known, and life groups is where this happens. Because even in a church our size, no one here knows everyone else's name. That's not possible. But in a life group, when you gather with someone regularly, when you gather with a group of people weekly, you get to know one another. You get to share your hopes, your dreams, your, your challenges. You get to know each other at a level where you can help each other when you're walking through difficult circumstances. You can help each other wrestle through decisions that have to be made because you know each other. See, that's why advice from someone who doesn't know you usually isn't worthwhile at all. If you're dealing with a specific situation, you go to someone, you're like, hey, I got to make this decision. What should I do? Someone who doesn't know you at all, they can give you like an imperial objective perspective but they don't know you. They don't know your hopes. They don't know your dreams. They don't know what makes you tick. They don't know the way God uniquely wired you. But when someone you know gives you advice, you take that advice often because you realize they know who you are. See, this is our whole, what we're getting at when we talk about life groups being an important part of our community because this is where we know each other, where we are known, and where we can help each other grow. So there's this simple question. What does it take to build friendships? What does it take to build community in a life group? And these are the kind of the three things that I'm asking you if you're interested in, because I think your answer is going to be yes. So what does it take to build friendships? And there's three simple things that it takes to build a relationship with other people. The first one's this, proximity. Are you around each other? This is, you know, you have to be around someone for there to be any chance of a friendship ever starting. And this is something that has become kind of, we've become hyper aware of in our social media, digital connected world. Because, you know, there's people I follow on social media because, you know, I like what they post and I find them interesting and engaging. And, you know, I'll like or I'll comment on their posts sometimes. And maybe they like my comment, but is that a relationship between me and them? Absolutely not. See, we live in this digital world where we can feel connected to someone we actually aren't connected to. And the problem is, is when we try to take our social media, our digital world, and we try to replace our need for in-person relationships with something that's digital. 
it doesn't work. We need this proximity to actually physically be around each other in order for a relationship to grow. Proximity is essentially like the spark that could start a friendship. But if you're not around someone, it doesn't work. And you're thinking, wait a second, you know, I have friends that live provinces away or in other countries that I'm deeply connected to. And one of my closest friends is actually a guy who lives in Edmonton. And we only see each other maybe once or twice a year kind of thing. But where digital fits fills the gap is digital fills in the gap when a relationship used to have proximity and now it doesn't. So even though he's in Edmonton, you know, we were talking this week, He's in Edmonton. We can still connect and share what's going on in each other's lives and pray for one another and and give each other advice about situations going on and catch up. But we do that because we used to have this closer proximity piece. See, digital can enhance and continue something that started in person. But very rarely does a relationship that starts purely digital continue and last. And you probably can can see these things in your own lives, times when that's happened. So after proximity, you have to be around each other. The second one is this, and it's this, it's frequency. How often are you in contact with someone? And see, this is why uh, oftentimes our coworkers become our friends. Because we're around them, you know, proximity, and we're with them often, frequency, and you can't help but develop a bit of a relationship and a connection and a friendship with your coworkers for this reason, especially if there's some shared interests or there's some things in common, you know, maybe you're of a similar age, kind of similar affinity. That's what builds a deeper connection. So these first two pieces of proximity and frequency, and in fact, frequency is one of the things that um, in the New Testament, there was this letter written that's called Hebrews, and it was written to a group of Christians who used to be Jewish, who converted, basically recognized that Jesus was Lord, and they became Christ followers. And now they were in this situation where they were actually thinking about leaving Christianity behind and going back to their Judaism, because at the time, Christianity was being persecuted. It wasn't endorsed by the government. So, you know, Christians often were being persecuted and beaten and arrested and jailed. And so the author of this letter, Hebrews, was writing this letter to a group of people that were considering walking away from their faith. And this is closer to the end of it. This is the instruction that he gives them. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. So he spent the first part of Hebrews building up this case for this is why we believe in Jesus, why he is the Messiah. And then he gets to, here's what I want you to do. And he says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Here's the important part. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return, the day of Christ's return is drawing near. Now what they're getting at in this, he says, don't neglect meeting together. Because when you choose to say, well, I'm just not going to go this week. I'm just not going to, you know, I'm I'm just going to skip my small group this week. There we go. I was even baiting you with that one. Come on. You think, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to skip my life group this week. Well, now it's two weeks you go by without seeing, you know, your group of, of peers. This is what the author of Hebrews was getting at. He's saying, if you neglect meeting together, those relationships start to wither away. And, you know, in fact, even long, you know, my, my friend in Edmonton, who I have this, you know, longer, long distance digital friendship with. You know, what prompted me this week was I was actually, I was writing this message and then got convicted. I have not called Drake in a really long time. I need to call him. And so I called him and we talked for a while and it was really refreshing. But it's this whole thing of let us not neglect meeting together. Frequency 
is part of how we grow a relationship. So if we say proximity is the spark that can ignite a friendship, frequency is like adding kindling to a small fire. You know, if you throw everything on all at once, it chokes it out and dies. But if you don't have any frequency at all, it, it starves out and it dies. So there's these two pieces, proximity and frequency. Now, these might just seem really practical. What about how do we actually interact with one another? And that's where we come to the third one, authenticity. Now, authenticity, I'm t- I, I chose this word specifically because it encompasses the two others that we often think of when we talk about how do we build genuine relationships. It encompasses Humility, because what is lack of humility? Lack of humility is pride and being ego-driven. And so if you have a lack of humility, you're not being authentic. You're not being real about who you are. And the second thing that it encompasses is vulnerability. Being willing to be vulnerable and to reveal what's really going on in our lives with one another. Because a lack of vulnerability is living with a mask on or living with a false facade in front of us of saying, you know, you can see the, the Brian I outwardly project, but I'm not going to let you see who I really am. See, we can't be authentic and not be vulnerable, and we can't be authentic and not be humble. So that's why I picked authenticity specifically for this, because it, in the, it leads us to being real with one another. In fact, the depth of the authenticity that you show to someone else is what determines how authentic they'll be with you. And you've experienced this. Maybe you have a a friendship that's just kind of surface level, just kind of casual. You know, and one day your friend comes to you and says, I got this problem. I don't know who to talk to about this, but I think I can talk to you. And suddenly they open up this piece of their lives where they're like, I need help. What do we feel in us when someone comes to us and asks for help? We feel this desire because authenticity calls out for authenticity. And we feel called out to say, you know, I've been through a similar situation and it was tough and it was difficult and, you know, here's something that helped me. See, authenticity can't exist solo. Authenticity always calls other people to come to, authentic, to a place of authenticity with them. Now, it's also possible to go too deep too fast to be like, you know, and, I, and again, this comes back to weird encounters when I tell people I'm a pastor. Uh, at our old place, um, the neighbor across the street and I, we were shoveling our snow at the same time, and I'm like, I haven't met this guy. I should walk over and say hi. And I walked over and said, hey, I'm a pastor, uh, when he asked me, what do I do? And I kind of thought, oh, he'll just say, okay, that's nice, which church? And suddenly this guy starts diving into his 30-year battle with alcoholism. And it, like, I ended up spending like probably half an hour, you know, standing out in minus 30, talking with this guy about alcoholism and, and about, you know, this whole piece. And, and it was something good. But at the same point, I'm like, wow, you just met me. <laughs> and you're telling, like, he was telling me things that I'm like, I can't imagine that you, you know. But somehow that title of pastor let him know he was safe. Let him know that he could be authentic. Let him know he could be vulnerable. And, and it led to, you know, a few conversations over a while back and forth. You know, we'd see each other outside. We'd talk for a bit. I tried to help him get connected actually with a pastor, another pastor in town who had been through AA himself and had a long history of alcoholism himself. And, and they were able to connect a bit. And that was something really beneficial because I didn't have that experience. I didn't have that background to help him. But when we're in this place where we feel safe, we're able to go to a place of authenticity with one another. And that's what life groups are about. See, when we meet in life groups, it's about having this proximity and frequency and this safe place to be authentic with one another. 
And that's where we can wrestle with the pieces of our faith that we're struggling with, or, or we can talk about what are the changes we want to make. How do we move forward in our walk with God? And you might be thinking about this whole authenticity thing, you know, why does this really matter? And so let me go to scripture for a moment on this. Some of us think when we read the gospel that Jesus, you know, he had his group of 12, he had his disciples that he spent three years with. And we often think that was a one-way relationship, that it was all about Jesus instructing what was essentially the the first youth group of the church, because most of them were teenagers at the time. We think about Jesus instructing and teaching them, and we think of it in this, oh, they must have been sitting in rows. You know, Jesus was up front instructing his disciples all the time. That's often the perception we get as we read scripture. But there's all these little pieces, and often they're in the little like transition verses when they talk about Jesus and the disciples moving from one thing to another. And there's all these little references to times when Jesus took his disciples and went away to be with them, with just his disciples. And in fact, in his group of disciples, he had an inner three. Peter and James, who were brothers, and John. Sorry, James and John were the brothers, not, Pe- not Peter. Sorry, my mistake. But he had those inner three, Peter, James, and John, who he connected with on a deeper level. And oftentimes they would go away to pray and to spend time together. And that was when Jesus recharged. Because, you know, it's exhausting to say, I'm going to spend three years traveling and people are always coming and asking questions and coming with their needs that they need healings for. And then there's this whole group of religious leaders that are trying to kill Jesus. Jesus still needed to take these times away with his friends to recharge. And there was even times when he you know, left his disciples behind and says, no, I just need some personal time to go and pray and to re- recharge. See, Jesus needed community. Jesus needed his own life group. And if we think about our own walk with God and we think, you know, I don't need people around me to grow in my faith. Well, I'm sorry, that's not true. Because even Jesus needed that. See, and this is what he says on the last night he has with his group of 12. He knows that he's going to be betrayed and executed. And this is what he tells them. He says, this is my commandment. This is from John 15. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. What's Jesus about to do? He's about to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. No, you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father has told me. At the end of this three-year time period, Jesus is forcing them to redefine their relationship to be friends, not teacher and student, not master and slave, to be friends. See, we need people around us if we're going to walk, grow in our walk with Jesus. It's as simple as that. And so now I want to take us to two questions. And I believe Drew's got a microphone. Oh, you got a sleeping kid, so Mac's going to grab a microphone. Thanks, Mac. And what I'm going to do is if you were able to post something in the app, it's going to pop up on my screen here. And let's have a conversation about these pieces. Let's have a conversation about this idea of community. I want to start with this first one. How has your life been enriched by friendships and community? So I'll just see if we've got something on there. If you're typing something in, you still can. It'll pop up on my screen. But I want to turn this to you because, again, we don't want this to just be one way. How's your life been enriched by friendships and community? In the past, it's been uh, bringing balance, you know, where I might be really good with reading my Bible, but 
lacking on prayer and then I've got a friend who's always praying and not reading the Bible and so we counteract each other and say, you know, hey buddy, uh, let's spend some time praying or whatever, you know, and you get that, uh, you get that balance because, I don't know, it's just, we're all different. We've got different strengths. Yeah, that's exactly it. That in community is where we find balance because no one of us is good at everything and we need each other to kind of fill in those gaps. Um, and encourage each other. What else? Um, you can just toss up your hand. Max is going to bring you a microphone so we all can hear. How has your life been, in, been enriched by friendships and community? I think that uh, God has brought me some friendships that have shown me who he really is. Because I've, looking back, I found a lot of friends that have kind of showing me what I can and can't do, or what's the truth about God and what was wrong with either the teaching that I heard or the way I was thinking. And they helped me through a lot because, I mean, this goes to the second question too, because a lot of people walked away when I went left my the church that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's that whole journey of how do we walk together and how the community around us supports us and helps us grow in our faith is huge. Thanks for sharing that. Any, any more on how has your life been enriched by friendships and community? It makes you realize that you're not alone. I found um, when I first became a parent, it was like, oh, this is overwhelming. I have no idea what I'm doing. And just being able to reach out to somebody who was in a similar situation or a similar point in where their kids were at. or um, I have a child who has more difficulties than the average child does and surrounding myself with people who are in a similar situation makes you realize that you aren't alone. Mm-hmm. And, and even like, even when you get to sit together and say, we don't know what to do, and hearing someone else say, we don't know what to do, there's so much comfort in that, to be like, we're not alone. Even in this, I don't have a clue what we're doing. But it's good to not have a clue what you're doing together. <laughs> so how about this second one? And I want to talk about, I'm going to pr- kind of primer this question a little bit, because sometimes we have this experience where we've had friendships that turn bad, that friendships that turn sour. And we oftentimes there's this emotion that can arise in us called cynicism. And cynicism is essentially, uh, a, a mentor of mine used to always say, it's anger that's given up. Because you were angry at this person for something they did. But you couldn't do anything with that anger. And over time, that anger morphs to cynicism, which is this perspective of saying, you know, specifically talking about friendships, of saying, you know, I was hurt by a friendship before, and so I'm not going to give anyone else the chance to get close to me and do that again. See, cynicism is this taking whatever's happened in our past that we didn't like, anything in our past that didn't hurt us, and it projects it on the potential of the future and taints our view of the future and changes our, our ability to see things clearly. And so sometimes, uh, and you know, it's often it's the people that you care about, the people that are closest to you are the ones who actually hurt you. And if that's the case, and if that happened in a church, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that was your experience. But one of the things that, that the whole New Testament deals with is how do we live in community with one another? And so I want to ask this question for you. If you've been hurt by friendships in the past, what's something that would help you try again? 
What's something that helps you feel kind of hopeful and optimistic towards building new friendships and new connections? Even if, you know, every one of us has some piece of pain that's relational in our past. And so what advice would you give? You know, what would help you to try again? This once more fresh in my memory. So um, realizing that forgiveness is about you and not about the other person. That was a big one for me because I've had a lot of hurt in the past from people who I thought were my closest friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it turns out that's not the truth for one reason or another, but realizing that forgiveness is about you and not about the other person. Yeah. Yeah, that forgiveness is about us not holding on to this burden of, I'm going to hold this against you. That it's more about us letting go than forcing them into a place of restitution or something else. Thank you for sharing that. Any more thoughts on this, on this one? You know, what's something that helps you to try again with friendships and with relationships? Realizing their point of view from what may have... May have uh cause the rift or the pulling apart you know I know that growing up I had a lot of close friends but they pulled apart because I think they realized I was questioning things I was probably labeled as the bad kid because I didn't do what was expected of me so I mean in their minds I was they wanted to put some distance between us mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't absolve people of hurt but understanding that even if they were misguided or even if they you know if they made uh, if they didn't communicate it well that you know maybe in their perspective what they were doing was trying to help um, and that's also a tough one to do to say you know can you see it from their perspective and you know sometimes things just go poorly and we have a lack of tact and a lack of ability to communicate what we're feeling, you know, there's always that gap in communication of how we say something and also how it's re- how it's received, and and kind of working through those pieces. See, I'm gonna I'm gonna close there and, and continue on, but thank you for sharing because this is about how we do this. Even though we're in rows right now, how do we try to make this feel more like a conversation and more like sitting in a circle, even though we're in a row? Because we want to focus on this, and here's here's the bottom line that I want to get to, and what and the ask that I want to make of you is that life groups help us move forward in our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I think if you, you know, are, we're excited you're here, and we're excited to have these conversations and dig into it, but even as much as we try to do with with the YouVersion event and the conversation, this is still primarily a one-sided conversation right now. But when you sit in a circle, when you sit around someone's living room, or you sit around someone's dining room table, and you work through questions like this together, and you share, and thank you for the bravery of sharing your stories, but when you share times when, you know, I wrestled with this, and when you're willing to come to this place of authenticity together, that's where we grow deeper in our walk with God. That's where we can take that step further in our faith is often found through life groups. And so here's the question I'm asking of you. As we're doing this week as our life groups launch, I'm going to talk about more in that in a second, but here's the question. Will you join one or will you lead one? Because I believe that it is deeply beneficial for you to be part of a life group. 
Now we're changing things up this year. We're doing things differently than what we've done before. And so here's what I want you to do. To sign up for a life group, you can come and meet me at the Connect Center, at the table in the lobby, and you can sign up using one of our iPads, and you can sign up on the form. And what we're doing when we ask you to sign up is we're asking you, when are you available to be part of a group? So you can check off what days of the week, you can check off, you know, what part of the city you're in, because we'll try and keep groups kind of geographically together if we can, even though Brandon's kind of small, it's easy to get around. But here's our our goal with this is we're trying to group people together that we think will be able to walk deeply in their faith together, that will have these steps. And then here's what I want to invite you to. On Thursday, if you've signed up for a group to either lead or to join one, on Thursday, I want you to come here to the church, November 1st, 7 p.m., and bring a dessert to share. It's the best kind of potluck there is, a dessert potluck. It's even better than the brisket we had at our kickoff. Mm, Maybe. But... (laughs) Here's what you're going to do. When you come to GroupLink, you're going to sit uh, around a table with your small group, and you're going to essentially get to meet your small group. And if you come here and you're like, you know, wait a second, things changed. I'm not available on Tuesdays anymore. That's okay. We'll just move you to a group that meets on a day that, you know, does work. And so you still get to meet your, your group. And at this GroupLink event, you, we're going to start you on a four-week journey called Circle Up. And it's all about how to be a life group. It's all about how to be in connection with one another. And so you're going to do the first week of it on, th- on Thursday here at the church. And then the second through fourth weeks of it are going to happen in your leader's home or in someone in your group's home who's ever going to host it at their place. Does that sound good? So the goal with this is we want to start all our life groups off on a really strong start of saying we're going to show you here's how to be a life group, here's how to do this well, and then we're going to set you up to, to live in this community with one another for however kind of long time period your group's committing to meet for. And so that's happening all on Thursday. So next week, I want to give us a little quick promo of next week. Next week, we are launching into a new sermon series that will be more than one week called Who's in Charge? And we're going to be talking about different characteristics and different you know, character traits we have that compete with one another that we live in this tension of. And so we're taking a very uh, personal growth-focused approach, talking about this idea, who's really in charge? So we're going to launch that next Sunday here at 11. So here's the deal. Be here for group link on Thursday. And then next Sunday, we're launching into a new sermon series. So let me pray and dismiss you guys. God, thank you that we get to be a community together. Thank you that you gave us the example of living in deep relationship with a group of people and that you call us to do the same. And so God, I pray that our small groups, life groups, our life groups this year would be an amazing place where people grow deeper in their walk with you. That it would be something that spurs one another on as we care for one another, as we pray for one another, as we wrestle through conversations together. And would you just lead us and guide us in that? In your name we pray, amen. If you're thinking of leading a small group, we provide all the resources, life group. If you're thinking of leading a life group, this is what I forgot to say before. We provide all the resources. So if you can read questions off a sheet, you can lead a life group. Bar's really low. We know you can do it. I'll see you at the Connect Center.